Psalm 144. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people und- peoples under me. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. Part your heavens, Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so, they may, so, they, so that they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemy. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. I will sing a new song to you, my God. On the ten-string lyre, I will make music to you, to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant David. From the deadly sword, deliver me. Rescue me from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. Then our sons in their youth will be well-nurtured plants, will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed is the people of whom this is true. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and lovely to be with you this morning. Psalm 144 that Liz has just read. At first sight, this psalm is David's prayer, obviously seeking God's help and rescue from his enemies and from the hands of foreigners. We may also think that this really has very little to do with us today. After all, here we are in Hawthorne and I don't see many battles in the streets of Hawthorne. At least when we came to church this morning uh, or when we go shopping. However, as followers of Jesus, I think we are facing conflicts and tensions as we live in Australia in the 21st century. Just to set the scene, I want to give you a couple of recent quotes to get us thinking. Um, The first one, just before Christmas, Stan Grant, the ABC journalist on the ABC website, was reflecting on Christmas. And he quoted from Oliver Gray's book, Is Europe Christian? Interesting question. And here are a couple of quotes. Secularisation has given way to large-scale de-Christianisation. And the disappearance of religion as the focus of social and cultural life. So you might say, well, that's Europe. That's not very relevant to us here in Hawthorne. Closer to home, Greg Sheridan, the Australian's long-term financial uh, foreign editor, and I might add a very committed Christian believer, 
published a book last year called Christians, The Urgent Case for Jesus in Our World Today. It's worth a read, let me just say. But this is one of the things he said. Once our background culture was pro-Christian, so there were many signals to believers and non-believers reinforcing Christianity. Now, the background culture tends to ignore, ridicule, attack, or patronise Christianity. We are living in a very different world from the world many of us grew up in 30, 40, or 50 years ago. Now, such opposition, of course, is not totally unexpected and shouldn't really surprise us. After all, Jesus has warned us in the Gospels on several occasions that there would be opposition. And here's just a couple of quotes from John chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So I think we can expect conflicts. We can expect tensions and battles as we live our Christian lives. Now, of course, these occur in many different ways and in many different forms. But I just want to give you three possible examples that may be relevant to you and to me. Firstly, with our family and friends who may make comments, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, about our Christian faith, about Jesus, or about our commitment. Secondly, within the workplace, where there may be activities or instructions that are inconsistent with our Christian faith, and how do we respond? And thirdly, within our broader secular society, where the Christian perspective on some topics in the world today, might run, run counter to our Christian faith and indeed to God's word. Now, these somewhat negative thoughts are not here to discourage us, far from it, but rather to highlight that we live in a world where there will be battles, where there will be critics of Christianity and of Jesus and of our faith. And let's see what we can learn from David as he faced the battles in his time. Now, one of the things I sometimes like is alliteration. Carol always warns me against this, but I've ignored this warning for this morning. <laughs> and I've broken the psalm into three broad areas. Contrast, conflict, and confidence. Let's start with the contrast. I'm going to read the first two verses because David, as he faces his battle, he begins the psalm, turns to God and praises him. Let's listen to these verses. Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Two verses. There are at least nine descriptions and pictures of God in these two verses. David wouldn't have had a machine gun in those days, but it's almost rapid fire. This is my description of God, bang, 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 bang. And there's so much there 
worshipping God, acknowledging God, that I could spend the whole sermon on nine descriptions of God. I'm not going to do that. You might be pleased to know. But there's a lot there about who God is and what he does. Let me just mention two of those descriptions. Firstly, God trains David's hands for war. God is walking beside him. He's leading him and showing him the way. That actually reminds me of the Holy Spirit that we have who works in us today. He is our counsellor, the spirit of truth. And as Jesus mentions in John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit will teach us and remind us. That is a great encouragement for us. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God is walking with us as we go. The second um, if you like, a picture I want to mention, which Mark mentioned last week from Psalm 11, is God is our refuge. When the going gets tough, we can come to God and rest in him. We are not alone. He loves us and cares for us. In fact, in these two verses, David uses the word my seven times. God is very personal to David. He's my God, my refuge. And and David has great confidence, as we'll see shortly, in God. So David opens the psalm describing worshipping God. He then considers who we are in verses 3 and 4. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. There is a contrast between the almighty God and us. We are, in a sense, nothing. Here to that day, gone tomorrow, let's say. We are, in one sense, nobodies compared to God. And yet God loves us and cares for us. Therefore, it is absolutely right that we humble ourselves before God, not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in the almighty God. Now, this theme of the contrast between God and human beings is consistent right through the Bible. It's not just here. Let me just give you one example from Isaiah chapter 40. All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of of God endures forever. There was a great contrast between the almighty God and us as frail human beings. In a sense, we are insignificant in the whole creation, but in our toils and our battles, we can trust in the almighty God. So that leads us to the next section of the psalm, and that is where David looks at the battles ahead, the conflict, if you like, and he asks God to rescue him. Let me read these verses. Part your heavens, Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemy. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me. And rescue me 
from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners, whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. Now, as David prays to God for rescue, the first thing he does is acknowledge God's great power, mountains that smoke, lightning reaching down from on high. Did he just make that up? I don't think so. I think there are clear images from Mount Sinai here when the Lord spoke to David as recorded in Exodus chapter 19. Let me just remind you what's written there because it resonates with the psalm. There was lightning and thunder with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from, like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. That's the picture of God's power that David has in mind here. David remembered the history of the Jews and that encouraged him. And that can also encourage us as we recall how God has answered our prayers and has worked in the lives of our lives and those around us and those we love. Secondly, in this prayer, I think it's really interesting, David acknowledges that the mouths of foreigners are full of lies and their right hands are deceitful. That is, the very right hands that were used for making oaths at that time are deceitful. They can't be trusted, full of lies, spreading falsehoods. What's more, those verses about lies and deceit, deceits, deceitfulness, are repeated in verse 11, a couple of verses later. So David's actually facing a battle of words. And these lies, these um, words of lies, examples of lies and deceit, remind me of some of the criticism that we face in our world today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some of the criticism is not well informed and may in fact be reflective of poor teaching in some churches or uninformed arguments. Indeed, I'm sad to say that my parents lost their faith because of poor teaching in a churches they attended, churches that did not recognise the full word of God. It was false teaching and it was harmful. Words can be used to criticise God and criticise us. And they're often full of lies and deceit. Now, I'm, of course, I have to recognise that the church is not blameless, both historically and in recent times. But let's encourage ourselves, our families and our friends to come back to the full word of God and trust in God and not in falsehoods and deceit that might be in the community. So in David's prayer, he's acknowledged the power of God. He's acknowledged the deceits and lies around him. And the third thing he feature of this prayer is that he asks God to act now. The verbs he uses are immediate. Send forth, reach down, deliver me, rescue me. I want to see you in action, God. 
I need your help. David is clearly asking God for immediate help. And he does this because he has confidence that God has acted in the past, as he um, says in verse 10, and will continue to act in the future. So let's come to the third C, confidence, future blessings. David has great confidence in God delivering blessings in the future. And he's, in this psalm, talks about blessings in two quite different ways. The first is in actually the middle of his prayer, verses 9 and 10. I will sing a new song to you, my God. On the ten-stringed lyre, I will make music to you, to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant David. So here, in the middle of his prayer, he's looking forward to worshipping God after God rescues him. He's looking forward to singing before God and to celebrate the rescue that God will provide. But after that rescue, in verses 12 to 14, he looks beyond the immediate. He looks further afield. And I find these verses fascinating. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants. Our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. Lots of blessings. God is going to bless David and his people. Abundant blessing. Abundant blessings everywhere. But I found it helpful to break these blessings down into three broad areas that I think we can all relate to and one way or the other we're all concerned about. The first is his family. He, he prays for blessings on his sons and his daughters. They will be blessed. Perhaps not in ways like uh, statues on a palace. We don't quite imagine that in our world. But we can see what he's seeing. His children are going to be blessed by God. Then there will be blessing on his endeavours, his agricultural endeavours. The barns will be full. There will be thousands of sheep. God will bless his endeavours, his business, if you like, his operations, and he will bless him greatly. And thirdly, Israel as a nation will be blessed. They will not be defeated and captured. There will be no crying in distress. They will be God's people. So he's gone from family to his work to his nation. Three areas of blessing. Now I think it's important to realise that these very physical blessings are not there just to accumulate for the sake of accumulation, just to have barns full, overflowing every day, every week, so they just have more and more. In fact, I'm sure you will recall that Jesus talk, talked about the, or taught about the danger of overflowing abundance. Rather, God provides so that we may be fruitful, that we might use our blessings according to God's 
purposes. Now, what this means for each one of us will be different because we will have different blessings. So I'm not going to tell each one of us how we will be fruitful with our blessings. But as one commentator wrote, our blessings are to be delighted in. They are not to be presumed. In other words, they're there for us to use for God's glory, for his kingdom, and to bring people to come to know Jesus. Now, as I said, I like the way that David expresses these three areas of blessings, family, endeavours, and nation. I think it's sometimes helpful, sometimes when we want to pray to God, we're not quite sure what to pray for or who to pray for. And it seems to me that this model can be quite helpful in our prayer life. Not in any restrictive way, but if we're struggling to think about who or what we might pray for, let's think of these three areas. Firstly, for our family, our parents, our siblings, our children, and for those of us with grandchildren, our grandchildren. We can pray for blessings upon them, whether they're believers or not. And of course, we can also pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're here at St. Columns, on the mission field, etc. Let's pray for our biological and Christian families. Secondly, we can pray for our endeavours, our work, our colleagues at work, our interaction with our colleagues, as well as the outcomes of our work. And in praying for our work, I'm not just thinking of our paid work, but our unpaid work as well. When we care for people, when we volunteer, whatever. Let's pray for what we do, that God may bless it, bless it, and our outcomes may be according to his purposes. And thirdly, we can pray, and we should pray for our nation, our governments, and our leaders. The world needs our prayers today. Let's pray that God will work in our world as he indeed worked in David's life. So David concludes this psalm, having gone through great praise to God, praying for rescue, praying for blessings. And he concludes in verse 15. Blessed is the people of whom this is true. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. Let us enjoy God's blessings and worship him with all joy. As followers of Jesus, God has granted us even greater blessings than full barns or a safe nation. He has promised us eternal life with him in heaven, secured through Jesus Christ. We are truly blessed as God's people as we worship the Lord and seek to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. So Psalm 144 is a great reminder of who God is, especially when compared to us, of how we can turn to him in prayer at any time as we face our critics, our battles, whatever they might look like, and that God will bless us as we follow him both now and forevermore. Amen.